Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. We have a choice of how we handle our guilt. We can try to cover it. We can run away from it. We can blame others for it. We can rationalize it. Or we can discover the freedom that comes from God's forgiveness. David says, when you have received God's forgiveness, if you have received God's forgiveness, you will repent of your sin. You will repent of your sin. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. A famous Christian psychiatrist once said, the reason most people feel guilty is because they are guilty. Trying to be a good person, it's simply not good enough to please God. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us how to conquer the mountain of guilt that separates us from fellowship with God. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. By now, I hope you've heard about the exciting new resource at Pathway to Victory. As a father and now grandfather, my heart has grown heavy for the next generation, especially for those young Christians who feel voiceless in these days of unbridled tolerance. Well, my daughter speaks with passion and conviction about her Christian faith, and she's become an encouragement to so many listeners through her podcast, radio program, and television program called Unapologetic. Whether for yourself or the millennial in your life, I want you to benefit from this exciting new program. Again, it's called Unapologetic, and finding the podcast is simple when you go to ptv.org slash Julia. And now, let me give you a preview of our topic today. The longer I rub shoulders with other Christians, the more I've come to realize that a lot of believers are privately dealing with a heavy burden of guilt. They're overcome with remorse and shame. Today, I want to show you how to move from guilt to a far better place. And in addition to this program, I've included this topic in a best-selling book I've written for you. It's called Invincible. And right now, you're invited to request a hardbound copy of Invincible when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In my book, I talk about overcoming guilt and nine other roadblocks in life. I'll say more about my book later in the program. But right now, let's give our complete attention to the subject at hand. From the Invincible series, I titled today's message, Moving from Guilt to Repentance. We've got one of three choices in how we're going to handle guilt. One is silence, that is try to ignore it or cover over it. Secondly is sorrow. We can feel really bad about our sin. We can be sorry for the sin. We can be sorry we got caught. We can be sorry for the terrible consequences. But that's not repentance. That's the third choice. The third and only lasting solution to guilt is repentance. A word that means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. We're going to look at one man in scripture who illustrates all three of those responses. First, silence, then sorrow, and finally, life-giving repentance. His name was King David. Today, we're going to talk about conquering the mountain of guilt by moving from guilt to repentance. And that's what Psalm 51 is all about. 
Turn over to Psalm 51, because if you look at the superscription above the psalm, it says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, I want you to notice in this psalm the four steps that David exercised to move from guilt to repentance. First of all, today, if you are feeling guilty, if you feel separated from God and others because of your sin, first of all, acknowledge your sin as sinful. Notice what he says in verses one and three. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David doesn't say, oh, I've got a slight flaw. I've got an addiction. I've got a little problem I need to take care of. He acknowledged his behavior as truly sinful. In fact, I wish we had time to look at this. There are five words in Psalm 51, five different words he uses to describe his sin. He calls them transgressions in verses one and three. That talks about the moral gravity of sin. Secondly, iniquity. It's a word that refers to the perversity of sin. The third word is sin itself. That comes from a word that means to miss the mark. Uh, Fourth, he calls it evil. What he did, he said, was evil. That shows how God views his transgression. And finally, he used the word blood guiltiness. He was confessing to murder by using that term. Acknowledge your sin as truly sinful behavior. Secondly, David illustrates the importance of accepting responsibility for your sin. Notice in verse 2, the use of the personal pronoun, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Notice it's me, 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 my, my, my. He doesn't blame Bathsheba for bathing naked on the rooftop. That wasn't the cause of his sin. He doesn't blame his parents. He doesn't blame the pressures of being the king of Israel. He doesn't blame anything or anyone except himself. And you'll never find the pathway to repentance until you're willing to acknowledge your sin as your responsibility. Now, you may be saying, well, pastor, I'm happy to acknowledge my sin if I could just think of a sin I committed. If I'm ever guilty, I'll remember that tip. Thank you very much. Well, not so fast, bozo. Uh, If you're having trouble thinking about any shortcomings you have in your life right now, I want to encourage you to pray the same prayer that David did in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It's the one prayer God promises to answer every time. David prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You know what he was praying? He was saying, Lord, take the spotlight of your Holy Spirit and shine it every place in my heart to see if there is anything that is displeasing to you. Are you willing to pray that prayer? You say, God, show me anything that displeases you. Let me give you a quick inventory you might consider when you ask God to point out any sin in your life. What about your relationship with God himself? Do you have any unconfessed sins or unkept promises you've made to God? Secondly, your relationship with your family. Do you need to reconcile with parents, siblings, 
perhaps children or grandchildren. Anything there that needs to be reconciled? What about your relationship with your mate? Do you need to ask forgiveness for wrongs done or words said to your husband or wife? What about your relationship to other people? Is there any immoral relationship that needs to stop? Do you need to seek forgiveness from somebody you've offended? What about your relationship with yourself? Any sinful habits that you need to stop? Any godly habits you need to begin? What about your relationship to your possessions? Is it time for you to transfer your trust in your bank account or possessions to trust in God instead? If we're going to remove the mountain of guilt, we've got to accept responsibility for our sins. Thirdly, receive forgiveness for your sins. This is the heart of the matter. When we feel guilt, there has to be a time that we ask for God's forgiveness. You know, it's interesting. There are many people David could have sought forgiveness from. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against her husband. Uriah. He had sinned against the nation of Israel. But interestingly, in verse four, he said, Lord, against you and only you, I have sinned. What he was saying was, ultimately, all sin, God, is sin against you. And you're the first person I need to go to to receive forgiveness. And notice how he pleads for that forgiveness. He says in verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. What he was saying is, God, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I need you to forgive me. I can't forgive myself. Have you ever heard people talk about, oh, you need to learn to forgive yourself. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You can't forgive yourself. Trying to forgive yourself is like trying to pay, play tennis with yourself. You can't be on both sides of the net at the same time. You can't serve the ball and then come over to catch and retrieve the ball and go over that way. You can't be on the giving and receiving end of sin either. You can't commit sins and then move across the net to forgive yourself of your sins. It's impossible. Only God is capable of forgiving you and me for our sins. We need him to do what we can't do for ourselves. And when we pray to God to forgive us, the only way we can be forgiven is to say, God, I believe that when you sent Jesus to die on that cross 2,000 years ago, he paid the price for my sins. I am trusting in him and him alone to save me from my sins. That's why Jesus came, not to be a good example to us. And remember some of his final words, John 10, uh, 30, Final words, it is finished. Literally, tetelestai, paid in full is what the word means. Jesus was saying, I've paid the price for your sins. You can spend all eternity trying to pay for it and end up in hell forever, or you can let me pay your sin debt for you. We have to receive God's forgiveness for your sins. Is there a time in your life when you've knelt before a holy God and you've said to that holy God, God, I am a sinner. I deserve your punishment. But with all of my heart, I believe that Jesus died for me. And today, this moment, I'm trusting in him for my forgiveness. The moment you do that, the Bible says in the throne room of heaven, God declares you as not guilty, not guilty. 
You have to accept God's forgiveness. But that's not all. David says, when you have received God's forgiveness, if you have received God's forgiveness, fourthly, you will repent of your sin. You will repent of your sin. In verse 10, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What does it mean to repent? That word repent, metanoeo, means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. We have to turn away from our sin if we've really been forgiven. David was saying, when he said, created me a clean heart and a steadfast spirit, he said, Lord, I want to do better and I'm going to do better. But first, I need a new way of thinking. I need a new heart before that can happen. And that new heart is what God gives you when you trust in Christ for your salvation. And if you really have that new heart, you will turn away from that sin in your life. Secondly, to repent means to make restitution when necessary for your sins. If there's something you owe somebody else because of your sin, you'll make things right with that person. Sometimes that's monetary restitution. Luke 19, remember the story of the tax gatherer, Zacchaeus? And after he met the Lord, he said, I'm going to repay everything I've stolen four times. It's because he had a new heart inside of him. Sometimes, now get this, the restitution you need to make is a relationship reconciliation. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23, 24, Jesus said, if you're making your offering at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering, go be reconciled to your brother. Now notice Jesus didn't say if you're in church making your sacrifice and you remember you've got something against your brother. No. If you remember you've got something against your brother, just forgive him right there on the spot. But this is remembering that somebody has something against you. You're to take that first step toward reconciliation. Well, pastor, he's to blame too. Doesn't matter if he or she is 99% to blame and you only have 1% of blame. You're to take care of your 1%. You're to go be reconciled to that other person. Now, they may or may not allow you to be reconciled to them. That's their problem. But God wants you and me to have a clear conscience. The best definition I ever heard of a clear conscience was the assurance that neither God nor anyone else can blame us for a wrong we haven't attempted to make right. A clear conscience is the assurance that neither God nor anyone else can ever blame us for a wrong we haven't attempted to make right. Can you say that about everybody in your sphere of relationships? Is there somebody you need to go to and make that first step to reconcile that relationship? That's the guarantee. That's the sign of true repentance. Now, notice what happens when we receive God's forgiveness, we repent from sin. Notice what God does for us. Three marvelous things. First of all, God removes our sin. He removes our sin. Look at verses 2 and 7 and 9. Wash me. Underline that word, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop. Underline that word, purify in hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out. Underline that 
blotting out of all my iniquities. There are three images David used to describe what happens when God removes our sin. Water, hyssop, and blotting. You know what water represents? It represents cleansing from the defilement, the dirtiness of our sin. You remember what it's like to be out mowing the lawn on a hot day in August in Dallas, Texas? The sweat, the perspiration, the dirt, filth, and grime. Aren't you glad to get in the shower after that and just feel it wash off your body? Have you ever felt dirty inside because of something you did? A sin you committed? A word you spoke? A fit of anger you got into? You just felt bad. And you wish there was some way to wash that away. That's what God's forgiveness does. He said that washing washes me thoroughly of the defilement of my sin. Secondly, the hyssop. That hyssop in verse 7, that represents the cleansing from the guilt of sin. The hyssop is a bush in Israel. And the priest would take a branch of that bushy bush and they would use it to sprinkle the blood of an innocent animal on the altar. It was a picture of removing the guilt of God. Whenever we receive God's forgiveness, he sprinkles us. He atones for our sin with the blood of his son. We are never having to worry again about a guilty status before God. And then thirdly, blot out all of my iniquities. What is that about? That represents separating us from our sin. You know what a rap sheet is? Criminals have rap sheets. It's a list of all the things they've been charged with and are guilty of. And the rap sheet really describes who the criminal is. You can't separate him from his crimes. Well, in a lot of ways, it's impossible to separate us from the sins we commit until we receive God's forgiveness. But when we receive God's forgiveness, he separates us from our sin. When he looks at us and thinks about us, he doesn't think about us in terms of our sin any longer. We have been separated from our sin because our record has been expunged. It's been blotted out by the blood of Christ. David used another image to describe that in Psalm 103, verse 12. This is worth the price of the sermon. Remember what David said? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. God took all of your sins and he removed it from you. How far did he take it? As far as the east is from the west. Now, here's something I never understood until this week. Why is it that he said, as far as the east is from the west, why didn't he say, as far as the north is from the south? Here's why. You can get to, in your car after this service, and you can start heading north. And you can drive to Amarillo, through Oklahoma, up through Colorado, through Canada. You can keep going north and travel north indefinitely until you get to the North Pole. And the moment you get to the North Pole, even though you're traveling north, north now becomes south, and you find yourself headed south. There's a limit to how far you can go north because of the North Pole. But if you get in your car and go out Interstate 20, headed to Tyler, Texas, going east, you can keep going east through Tyler, through Louisiana, keep going far enough, you'll end up in the Atlantic Ocean. 
Keep going far enough, you'll end up in China and the Near East. Keep going far enough, you'll end up in Hawaii. And guess how long you can go east forever. East never will become west, no matter how far you go east. Because there is no east pole and west pole. There's a north pole and a south pole. And what David is saying, when you receive God's forgiveness, he removes your sin from you an infinite distance. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sin has been thrown and forgotten forever. Isn't that a great truth? That's the freedom that comes from God's forgiveness. When we receive that forgiveness, he forgives us our sins. Secondly, he re reinstates our joy. Guilt saps the joy, the happiness of our life. When I talk to people who feel guilty, they say, I miss the joy of what I once had in my relationship with God. Look at what it says in verse eight. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And finally, God restores our fellowship with him. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now in David's day, it was a real possibility God could have removed his Holy Spirit from David. He did that with King Saul. Today as Christians after Pentecost, we never have to worry about that. John 10, 28 and 29 says, he gives eternal life to them. They shall never perish. No man shall snatch out of my hands those whom the Father has given me. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We never have to worry about God moving away from us, but we do move away from God. And when we receive God's true forgiveness, it restores that fellowship. We feel confident in coming before the throne of grace to plead our case before God and to receive his gifts. That's why Psalm 32, David wrote about his confession of sin and he said, how blessed, how happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How happy is the man in whom the Lord will not take his sin into account. The great pastor of yesteryear, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, if we will deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. The Apostle John said it this way, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how to conquer the mountain of guilt. The fact that you're listening to Pathway to Victory right now is no mistake. It's not a coincidence. I believe that God appoints these moments for His purposes, and I pray that you will respond to His call and allow Him to rid your soul of the guilt you may be carrying. Here's another step you can take in your journey. I'd like to send you a collection of 10 encouragement cards. Each of these cards identifies an emotional roadblock like the one we address today. And each card gives you a Bible verse that helps you know how to turn your mountains over to God. This is an exclusive offer from Pathway to Victory. And it's my gift to you when you request the encouragement cards from ptv.org. 
Then, when your request for the encouragement cards includes a gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll also send you my book for the Invincible Teaching Series. Today is the day to begin conquering mountains with God's help. Ask for my book, Invincible. It's hardbound, and it contains far more illustrations and guidance than I've been able to include in these half-hour programs. As we conclude today, let me thank you for your generous support in advance of receiving your gift. Pathway to Victory is entirely dependent on the voluntary gifts from friends like you. And no matter the size, your gift will help tremendously. Together, as a collective family of listeners and supporters, we are piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the best-selling book by Dr. Jeffress called Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. As an added bonus, we'll also send you a special message on CD and DVD that Dr. Jeffress delivered to our nation's leading Christian broadcasters. This message addresses the pressing topic of when persecution comes. To make your request, call 866-999-2965 or visit our website, that's at ptv.org. And when your investment is $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete unedited collection of audio and video discs for the Invincible Teaching Series, along with a corresponding personal and group study guide. To request the complete set of resources, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when we learn how to move from bitterness to forgiveness here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.